as I've always said, you know, there's people who enjoy change. They embrace change. They run through because change is there. Maybe it's new technology. Maybe it's uh, new restaurants. Maybe it's something new that uh, you have in your home. Hey, change. Maybe you're Marie Kondo. You know, you want to change your house around. Oh, something looks different, so you want to move your furniture around. Then there's some who, you know, they're reluctant to change. They'll change after, you know, it's past and uh, it's, it is uh, not necessarily um, in mode, so you'll change. And then there's some who go kicking and screaming into change. Like, I don't want to change. No way. And, uh, but wherever you're at, change is inevitable. And then there's some who wonder what happened because they're still wondering if, uh, how the change occurred. But uh, as we look at change, it is something that uh, we have to accept in life. Whether it be in our age, whether it be in uh, insurance and life, change is something that occurs and we have to uh, deal with it. And so the goal is to deal with it with the mind of Christ. And uh, so be able to understand how to do that. But turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. And this morning, the message is going to be a little bit more instructional. Usually, the point of preaching and taking the scripture is to try to invite change or for a response. And while the, uh, I want to incur that as well this morning, it's going to be a little bit instructional because we're looking at a historical book. And so as we look at it and then understand how can we apply it to our lives and incorporate that change. But Acts chapter 2, we're looking at uh, verse 12 through 36. And the title of the message is how the Old Testament helps us understand the New Testament. Maybe you're a, a believer here this morning and you've been taught, discipled in the New Testament. And sometimes we leave the Old Testament alone because we don't always understand it. It's not our history. Oftentimes we don't like to look at the Old Testament. But how does it help us understand the New Testament? So in Acts chapter 2, verse 12 through 36, be reading. Please follow along as I, as I read. Acts chapter 2, verse 12 through 36. And I'll start in the New King James and also read some of the Holman Christian. And starting in verse 12, it says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for there are not they, these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, my God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And, my men, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. You used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave me in Hades or allow my Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can say confidently, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of, on his, one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus. We all are witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, lower, uppercase, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God hath made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Shall we pray as we uh, open up this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth it gives to us. Thank you for the understanding. And as we go through this uh, text, I pray that you would give clarity, that you would allow us to be able to see, and then also apply it to our lives, to take this portion of Scripture and to understand how we can take it and understand it, but also apply it in our own daily lives. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we spoke about last week, the coming of the Holy Spirit and what it meant, and uh, hearing as we, we heard the, the wind, and the, well, we didn't hear the wind, but the wind came. We learned that it was the wind, and then it was the fire, and then the languages that were poured out. And now we have the response here. But I believe it's important for us to be able to look at the context to understand because as we look at the original audience, most of us aren't Jewish. Most of us don't necessarily know or care about a history other than our own. And sometimes we don't even have our own family history because it's, it's sordid. It's, it's not necessarily history that we want to remember. But here it's important as we look at the Old Testament to see how it applies and to explain the New Testament here because this is a passage and text that has often been misapplied, misquoted, misinterpreted. They've only do, dealt, dwelt with certain parts of the passages. So we'll look at some observations. First of all, the Jews thought they were drunk. Remember the audience, they had come for Passover to Jerusalem and they thought they were some of the... The Jewish leaders, religious leaders, thought they were drunk, and they may have just simply said that. Oh, they're drunk, not necessarily believing that. But uh, they were speaking in languages that they didn't understand, and they had not demonstrated before. So they say, oh, they're drunk. And Peter responds and says, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, uh, we're, it, this isn't a message about drinking, but understanding that most who drink, there's a reason, there's a time when Sundays, you know, they didn't even sell alcohol, and oftentimes before noon. But here, as anyone would understand that they're not drunk, and look, it's early in the morning. Most of those who go out and drink are still waking up. But here, we look at, we're going to look at a few things of his message. 
because Peter, as he delivers his message, and it's a powerful message for the Jewish believers, but there's three sections because he quotes the Old Testament three times. And sometimes as those who talk about it, they only say, oh, look, this specific spot is what it's talking about, the visions and the, and the dreams. But let's look at the background because, first of all, this is an explanation, verses 17 through 21, of the last days. So if you're filling out your, um, as, um, the outline, it's the last days. Paul talks about the last days in Timothy. It's in the last days, perilous times shall come. In the last days, what are the last days? You may have heard that we're living in the last days. Well, when were the last days inaugurated? Well, in verse 17 through 21, we see the days of the fulfillment of God's purpose. So as we look at 17 through 21, he, uh, Peter goes back and quotes Joel 2, 38 to 32. But starting in Joel chapter 2, if we were to look at chapter 2, and you can turn there if you wish, Joel chapter 2, he preaches the introduction that it's all about the coming, the day of the Lord is coming. And what the day of the Lord is, as we look at verse 12 to 17, is a call to repentance. You have to remember the context here that Jesus has just left. Okay, Jesus has left, the Holy Spirit has come. And, the, and there would have been those who had been opposing the Jewish mindset and said, okay, guess what, Jesus is gone. Some didn't see him. Did he really come down? What is the belief there? Is, was he really, what was the purpose of Jesus? And so Peter has to explain to these individuals because they weren't there. Remember, they, they didn't see the resurrection of Christ. They lived in other areas. They came for Passover, arrived in Jerusalem. And those of you who are skeptics, and I know that there's more than a few, about maybe someone who believed or if you had something. There are those who don't believe. And these Jewish people may have said, oh, Jesus didn't really resurrect if you look at Thomas, Thomas is always criticized for his doubt. But what I like about Thomas is that when he saw, he did believe. Jesus said, blessed are those who see and still don't believe. Because that was all of the Jewish nation, as we'll look later. They saw the miracles. They saw things that Jesus was doing. And, and their response was, show me another miracle. Show me something else. They wanted to continue. Okay, I don't believe. Well, maybe if you do this. And that's the modern-day skeptic. You know, if you see something, I saw it, but I still don't believe it. And so, because we're taught the deception. If there's those magicians who do the sleight of hand right in front of you, and you wonder, how did you do that? Maybe you're the child, or you're the crazy, well, not the crazy uncle, but the uncle who like, oh, let me show you. Let, oh, you got a penny behind your ear. You know, and, or the one child who says, I can make it disappear too. You know, and they put it in their mouth, and they swallow. And you're like, oh, no, they just swallowed a coin. But what happens is, is that they're skeptics. And so those Jewish, so the context is, and it's important because as we look at the context, they had come to, Israel, to Jerusalem. They're there looking at it and wondering what is taking place. And here, Peter, he has the understanding is that as he quotes Joel, verse 28 to 32, and it's important, you see in your text, verse 17, it says, and in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Okay, what is taking place? He doesn't say beginning with the last. He says, in the last days, this is what's going to occur. Pour out my spirit. Most of you have that capitalized, the Holy Spirit. But also, if you look at the ending of his message, verse 21, it says, the purpose. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The whole purpose of what is taking place here. And he says that these are some things that will occur. And pour out my spirit on all of these individuals. There is no distinction. And for the Jews, they had to understand that they thought it was just for the Jewish believers. 
but God was going to do something great introduced in uh, Ephesians 2, 10, talking about what will take place is that salvation is for Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. And that, that was something different. It was for a Jewish, ethnic Jew, it was very difficult because they were God's chosen people. Even the name Israel came from God. He called them Israelites, and that came directly from God. But here begins with Jesus. As we look at, hold your spot and go to 1 Peter 1, 10 to 11. 1 Peter 1, 10 to 11. I'll try to move along here. But 1 Peter 1, 10 to 11. And it's important because what, what we want to use is, remember, this is the author of the, the message. So when we look at the Bible, this is Peter speaking here in Acts 2, giving this sermon, but he's also the one who wrote 1 Peter. And so as we look at verse 10 and 11, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired about what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels desire to look into these things. The point is that it began with Jesus and they've been preaching about Jesus and Jesus established in the last days as it began with him, and his appearance on earth fulfilled scripture. And so he is validating to the Jewish believers and all those who had studied and known the Old Testament. And they had taught. We didn't, most of you didn't grow up in a synagogue. Most of you didn't learn um, culturally stories of the Old Testament. Some of you did in Sunday school, but it was their background, and they would learn about some of the prophets and what they had written and that there would be one coming of the Messiah and that the day of the Lord was coming. But his appearance fulfilled the Old Testament scripture. Prophets of old were searching for a person and a time and we see here fulfilled in salvation. But also in this text we see here continued with the Holy Spirit that he would pour out his spirit and upon not just the Jewish people but upon all humanity. And this was a challenge because sometimes even in our own understanding of salvation, and this is what Jesus taught all throughout. If you understand the message, the parable about the workers in the field, some were paid uh, for working a whole day's wage. I will pay a whole day's wage, that's fair. But others were paid for just a few hours. And humanly speaking, especially as Americans, we're all about fairness and justice. And if someone gets paid more, that's not fair. How come they got paid as much as uh, I did when I worked a whole day and this person didn't even work any and then they, they give that and the fairness and justice. And it's not teaching um, about socialism here politically. What it is is talking about salvation and that there are those who you may have lived a, a life as a believer, grown up in Christian church and, that, and in a home. That's a blessing. Don't forsake that because you have some opportunities. You probably you don't realize what a blessing that is. And if you don't believe that's a blessing, talk to some who haven't grown up in a Christian home, who've had it rough and come to, come to Christ later. They will open your eyes, understand. But what happens is as a believer, sometimes you think, oh, I've lived a, 
a quote-unquote good Christian life, it's not fair that I haven't been able to experience some of the other things. Or, or what about this person who's lived a, a raucous and vile and rough life, and how come they can come to Christ, you know, on their deathbed? Well, it's not your decision, first of all. But understanding is salvation given to all and for all mankind. What is the purpose of Jesus Christ coming? It wasn't to exclude, to say, okay, you're okay, you're not okay, you know. But it comes about for salvation that he died for all. That's, but it's that transaction. Some won't receive Christ. But to understand that peace that comes from Christ, and it continues with the Holy Spirit, and salvation is for the Jews, the Gentiles, the non-ethnic Jews, and a time when the Holy Spirit has an important role here on earth, the salvation. The role of the Holy Spirit was help convict us of sin. Some of us, you know, grew up and you think about, oh, there's a little devil and the, the little angel. It's not how it is, okay? Oh, the devil made me do it. You know, maybe you were a child and said, the devil made me do it. You might be an adult and still saying that. But understanding is the Holy Spirit is a convictor of sin, restrain evil, the evil one as it talks about. And someday that restrainer, the Holy Spirit, will be removed. But here the Holy Spirit helps us even to understand the truths that we've learned before, the conscience. But continues with the Holy Spirit, but also ends with the day of the Lord. In verse 20, it says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Return of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come, and there will be judgment. But these events and the whole point of the explanation that Peter is giving is about the day, um, the last days, that you are in the last days. Where some have just tried to point out, okay, what about um, some will see visions and dreams and things like that. Well, some of those remarkable things occurred even when Jesus was on earth. The dead came back to life. Remember at the resurrection, at the death of Christ, the dead came back to life. There was earthquake. There was signs and things that will occur. But it is not about the signs and wonders that people have tried to emphasize. And here, as we read the whole text, the point that Peter is expressing is that, hey, it is the introduction of the last days. And let me explain even further beyond that, because not only is the explanation of the last days that he's preaching that you're in the last days, but also... There is a divine plan. And so that's what we see in verse 22 through 28. So the next slide talks about a divine plan of verse 22 and 28. And it says, let me just read that again, where it says 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, God by you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And it goes on to talk about what David says, and we'll see that next. But that description, just understanding, here is Jesus and what has taken place, he explains. And so in this divine plan, which is hard for us because it's a contrast of free will and foreknowledge and understanding what God will do, but what he allows to occur. But here, the explanation of the divine plan that there was a predetermined before the foundation of the world and God would know the outcome. God knows the outcome because he is God. He knows what will take place. And first of all, we see that Jesus' death was essential. Jesus' death was essential. 
what that means, these miracles, signs, and wonders. They were witnessed by some of these hearers. He says, you here saw Jesus and the miracles that he did and what occurred, and you didn't believe he did these. And early apostolic teaching included these four elements because when they were teaching, they included these parts. And in your outline, it talks about what are these elements. First of all, there was an announcement. An announcement was the arrival of the age. Jesus Christ is here. He's the fulfillment. He's the Messiah. Jesus is here. It's time. If you think about it, an announcement. Um, we get all excited. Oh, there is an update because they're putting out a new iPhone. You know, maybe the SC is coming back. Those of you who keep that. Or, or there's a new restaurant. Or there's a, a new announcement. They're going to upgrade or, or come out with a 100-inch a, a TV. You know, so just... You never know. These announcements, you keep up on news, you want to know about news. There's an announcement. Uh, and so here, the early apostles and the disciples, they preach the announcement. Guess what? Jewish people understand that Jesus Christ is a fulfillment. He is the age to come. We are in the last days. Secondly, there's an, an, a, an account. Get my grammar right. An account. What is the ministry of Jesus? Okay, let me just refresh you. What did Jesus do? Okay, Jesus Christ in his ministry, the death and triumph. Jesus Christ, he lived, he died. This is what he did. He was here among us. He healed, but he also suffered and died, and then he rose again. He didn't stay dead. That's what makes him distinct. What other religions claim that someone rose from the dead but is still alive, humanly speaking? But understand that. This Jesus, as they're explaining to the Jewish, Jewish individuals that, guess what? This is Jesus. How do we know? Because of an antecedent. And that antecedent, I know, sorry, it fits in the um, alliteration and it starts with A. But the antecedent is ante something before. The Old Testament prophesies and predicts that, hey, Jesus is going to come. We talked about it even at Christmas time. Where would he be born? There were some in Arabia and in the Far East who knew that he would be born um, because of the star, Daniel. But what occurs is we see here that in the Old Testament scripture, the prophecy that would be fulfilled, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem. And there were certain things, the suffering Messiah we see from Isaiah, from the Messianic Psalms. Scripture is full of passages that talk about this is who the Messiah would be. And Jesus Christ fulfilled each one of these. And looking at it, the account, the antecedent, he talks about it. And even in, as we look at the preaching here, we're gonna, we see these three passages that Peter introduces. He says, this is how Jesus fulfilled the one who would come. But also, it just doesn't stop with that because otherwise it's not preaching. The preaching comes here. There's an acknowledgement. And, and what that is, is it's a call to repentance or salvation. Now, what are you going to do with the information? That's good information to have, but guess what? There, there has to be a response. What are you going to do? Repentance? Call upon the name of the Lord. Look at what even was predicted back. If you look at verse 21 again, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, delivered from the punishment of death. We're all sinners. We look at Romans and talks about understanding sin. We're all sinful. We don't have to tell one another. And maybe you try to deny it. A child will say, are you a bad person? No, I'm not bad at all. Understand. They talk to their parents. Talk to anyone. Some of you were young kids, and I can guarantee that you were devious and 
and bad. You may, and it's always the quiet ones you got to watch out for. You know, because if they had a brother or sister, you know, you could always just say, oh, you know what, sure, it's always the last one who gets caught, but it's usually the, the quiet one who instigated it. And so you have to be aware of that. But here, as we look at the acknowledgement, the call to repentance, salvation, and those were the elements, the essential elements within the preaching that he gave. And so we even look at that occurring here. So if you go back and look at verses 22 through 23, and verse 23, it says, Him, Jesus, being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Peter pulls no punches. He says, you are the ones who crucified him. That's always, you know, as we get to Easter, who crucified it? Was it the Jewish people? Oh, that's not right. Uh, each in, in her own sense, in the own sense, also every person who sinned crucified. But here, Israel's response was natural. Number two, as we go to looking at the explanation of the divine plan, Israel's response was natural. And what that means is lawless people nailed Jesus to kill him. The unsaved Jewish nation, their response was natural because convicting of sin and just understanding that they were going to crucify him and he was not the Messiah, they rejected him. And the nation rejected and crucified Jesus, but yet Israel is still beloved by God and desires that they repent. And that is the essence of the message is that, that Peter is giving, that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. How will you respond? And as he gives that, and he also says from the Old Testament in verse 24 through 28, he goes on to respond and say, God had this plan. You are the ones who are part of that plan, who crucified him. But yet, guess what? Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. But guess what? It was part of the process. And God the Father was powerful over death. And he was the one who raised up Jesus, resurrected. So the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection was predicted. It was something that was going to occur. So advance the next note on there is that it was predicted. This was predicted way in the past. Hold your spot and go to Psalm 16, 8 through 11. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. And what, what this passage looks at is just the power of God in that was able to raise up to resurrect and give life and that the penalty of sin was forgiven and accomplished. We use it theologically, it's a propitiation, a wrath-removing sacrifice, and it was accepted. But here in verse 8 it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Understanding that flesh and soul, faith extends beyond the grave. And even David has made known that God is the one who will be raising up and through the Holy One, the one promised one would not be left, but there would be a resurrection. And it was predicted. So as we see the explanation of a divine plan that Jesus Christ came to ultimately die, but to be raised again to conquer sin and death, to provide the means for salvation for all mankind. 
That was the purpose, yes. That should be our response to understand that. And uh, then we look at the next, the third thing is the explanation of the, the Davidic lineage. And this is kind of one of those caveats where Peter explains that, guess what? This is just to show you he came from the Davidic line. All right? Some of you have done, have, have you, any of you, have you seen Ancestry.com? Okay, some of you seen that or less. I know some people who have done that, just wondering, hey, where am I am or from? I'll give you a little bit of a story. I know an individual from a, a church in New York, and what happened was he had been in the military, Vietnam vet, served, but um, he had a relationship with a, a woman over there when he was at Army, quickly removed and brought him back. But Ancestry.com, he ended up meeting his child um, later over in California. But to understand the lineage, and you understand, is it authentic? Is, is that the lineage? And now that with DNA testing, blood tests, and even visually, you can see the similarities. But here, for the Davidic line, that was an essential part because the Jews would understand that from the Davidic line came royalty. Any royal blood in here? You know, king or queen or herald? You know, that was a big issue. Imagine being from a kingly, or we don't live under a monarchy, Maybe uh, one of your husband or wife think that I am king or I am queen. You know, treat it like a queen or princess. But monarchy was a big thing. Imagine if we lived during the Middle Ages. Okay, you're either a serf or you're a lord or, you know, you're monarch. Guess what? There were privileges and rights to that. But uh, understanding here the Davidic line, that was important because that was a messianic line, but also what would take place. So Jesus had Davidic identity. Verse 29 through 31, he explains in the text, in the passage, as he talks about, verse 29 through 31. And as we see here, he states and says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ... So it's nice because Peter interprets and explains to us. Raised up the Christ that sat on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus Christ, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted, he goes on and gives a beautiful picture we'll look at in just a moment. But the whole point is identity. If you had to give an identity of who you are, you know, you could say, okay, I am the son or daughter of this person. And your lineage and who you, sometimes you had to prove there weren't these DNA and paternity tests that we have nowadays. But how would you prove at the identity? And sometimes it would be because this was your parent, your grandparent, and of the line, and you would have to be able to name that. But here, Jesus had that Davidic identity, and Peter expresses, hey, First of all, he was a descendant of David. But secondly, he had the Davidic promise. And the Davidic promise was of the resurrection. Psalm 132, 11, even that talks about and states, Psalm 132, 11, let me just read that quickly. don't necessarily have to turn there. But Psalm 132, 11 says, The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set your throne, the fruit of your body, in that there would always be one who would come from the Davidic line. And we see, looking at Matthew and Luke, that he was a fulfillment of that scripture, the prophecy given, that the promise of one who would sit on the throne, 
and also the resurrection. But also, Jesus had, thirdly, divine position. Because Jesus just wasn't a descendant of David. The divine position was that Jesus was God. Jesus is the Lord God and the promised Messiah. This is the one, how he was able to be resurrected from the dead. This is the one who is promised. And as we look through here, verse 33, 36, it says, Being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. That is the Holy Spirit and the languages for the express purpose of people coming to Christ. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's giving an express explanation of the divinity of Jesus Christ. You may have seen him humanly on earth, but it just wasn't Jesus. This was God incarnate. This was the God who created the universe. This was the Son of God that the term was, that he is divine. And therefore, he has the power and authority to expressly give you eternal life, to help you understand he has made that. And so as we look at this passage and text, it's important for us because the express overall purpose is salvation for all. To understand that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we interpret scripture with scripture. So as we look at the whole context, and what helps us is these Old Testament passages, because then also Peter expressly explains those. And so as we look at, it is important that we interpret, even as you study Scripture with Scripture. And although the Old Testament is history of Israel and not of ours, it helps us have a better understanding of God's special relationship with Israel. The distinction, because there's those who say all of a sudden that we have replaced Israel. Well, God still has a special relationship with Israel. We have not replaced them. The church, um, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, are different, distinct from Israel. And when we read the promises of the Old Testament and see them fulfilled in the New Testament, how much more assured we can be that all Scripture is valuable and inspired by God. And it really is of the Lord because I was looking at the cover of our bulletins and it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what's right. For proof, that's what's wrong. For correction, to take what's wrong and make it right. For instruction in righteousness. That's to take what's right and keep it right. That the man of God may be perfect, or a better word would be complete. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The whole point is, as we look at this morning, I would encourage you to look at the text. And go to the next slide just to give the summary. Scripture interprets scripture, but to read it. And that's why I express read it. Many of you know the King James. Read it in the King James, but also read it in and some other good translations, because that will help you see it fresh. Sometimes as we read through, we, we miss sight of things, but I want you to read it. No matter, most importantly, read the Word of God. And when we don't understand it, seek out and help, because this will help our lives change for the better. Not just change, but change for the better, to help us understand who God is, who Jesus is. And as we read the Word of God, it helps us understand who we are, because there's things that have affected us in the past. There's experiences that are challenging, and, and sometimes we get in those habits. 
but when we read the Word of God. The Holy Spirit takes us and convicts us, challenges us, brings things to life as reminders to help us where we need to change. And it's not always easy, but it's through the power and the Spirit of God that will help us to change. Maybe it's to share Christ with others. Maybe to help us to understand what is our purpose, because each of you have a gift and ability to help others to understand who Jesus Christ is. When we live for him and understand his word, but the purpose that all may come to the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that in it are the words of life and that we can know for sure that we have eternal life. But most importantly, we, we can know what salvation is. As we look at it and study the Old Testament, the words that were given centuries ago to the nation of Israel, that there would come a Messiah. Even through the Abrahamic covenant, that there would be land, seed, but also a blessing for both the nation of Israel, but also for everyone else who would believe that all would receive that blessing. And through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Just take a moment as every head bowed and every eyes closed. I would hope that you understand that salvation only comes through the name of Jesus Christ. To confess your sins, to understand that it is not enough for you, it is not enough for you to just simply have faith. It is where you place your faith, in the person and work in Jesus Christ. To understand that relationally, because that's what gives true peace. The word expresses that. Jesus Christ is the one who has the authority, the power. And I would just encourage you this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can do it this morning. Simply where you're seated, if you need more help, you can ask someone, you can slip out quietly, or we have um, help in the back from Little Slips, the bridge track, but you simply understand that you're a sinner and, ask you, and to say you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again and you place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, to ask him for eternal life. That is what the Bible talks about, being born again, to have new life. If you've never done that today, I encourage you to do that where you're at. But also, you may be here and you know Christ. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But to understand that change, there's that constant reading. And as we learn and grow, the purpose is not just for us to get intellectual and academic knowledge, but for us to be spurred by the Holy Spirit because this book is living and vibrant. And as we read it, sometimes it may even make us a little bit angry because we don't want to change or there's something that, that causes us to say, hey, you need to be aware of this going on in your life. And I just pray that you would allow the Word of God to change you, the Holy Spirit to work in your life. So whether it means getting involved in a Bible study, we have uh, prayer studies on Wednesday. There's personal Bible studies. I would encourage you to write on your notes, say, hey, I'd like a Bible study in my home, maybe a one-on-one. -on -one. We do those here so that you can understand what the Word of God says, to have someone to teach you to go through. We have Sunday school at, in the morning. And just where you're at, I would encourage you to make that conviction real, to say, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible more. It's a discipline. It's not easy to read the Bible. But also to read it sometimes... If you don't understand it, I would encourage you just to read it. To, I can help you or someone else can help you just so that you can understand it. And important, not to, not to just dismiss it, but to read it because it will change your life. 